Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. We need to put an echo on that. Mortgage Matters. Let's have an echo. Yeah. yeah. Do that. Can you do that? You probably can do that. You can do anything. We can figure out how to do an echo. Yeah. Radio Guru. Thank you. All righty. Well, good morning, everybody. The <laughs> I can't see you again. Hey, and by the way, we're really here. It's it's October 29th. We're here. We're pumped to be here. I did not run a disclaimer at the beginning of the show saying, you know, give them a call during the week. But um, thanks for enjoying a previous episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What episode did you replay? Um, the one from when you weren't here. We did the one with the solar guy. Uh, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Oh. I want to know more about the solar thing. Yeah, it was a really good show. Who was you, my friend? Turn up a little. You, my friend, are in luck. I always forget Dan's on two, he's, not four. He's going to be the guest speaker at our company office. No here. way. Yeah. Did you learn about uh, the PACE program and these kind of things? Or no? Um, I don't know if we talked about PACE. Get ready for the break that, that, there. That doesn't right. ring a bell. Okay. Cool. So we're going to, uh, next week, it's, it's a mere days away. I'm yeah. going to get to learn more. Yeah. That's very exciting. Jeez. Well, how's the week for everyone? Good week? Good week. Fighting off a cold again? Fighting off a cold yet again. Proof of youngsters at home. <laughs> little yeah. dishes around. Yeah, those little Petri dishes just <laughs> yeah. bringing there the is, I know, around. I know. This yeah. time we've we've timed it perfectly to where we're all sick at the same time. That's nice. Usually it's it's one, then the other, then the other. And then you might even get a second yeah, lap. Yeah, you get a second lap. Yeah. yeah. This time we're doing it all all the same time. Um have you been have you started taking probiotics yet? Surely you got yeah you got to start doing something like that. I got vitamin C and multivitamins <laughs> pumping through me, drinking water like crazy. That's uh, what I'm doing. At least it's winter though, because summertime colds are miserable. When it's like hot and sunny out, and you're like, Ugh. yeah. This at least matches the weather a little bit. Right. Yeah. A little rain. Makes sense. A little gloomy. Makes sense. Yeah. Low energy. <laughs> and uh, a dreary feeling, somewhat. Although the rain yesterday wasn't that fantastic. That Friday, was nice. That was real rain too. Yeah. Friday night at my house in Atascadero. I think it started sometime around midnight ish. Like mm. like hard. I mean, it rained, sure. Then it started dumping rain yeah. for a couple of hours. And then when it broke, I was like, Man, that was a lot of hard rain. And then it started again and it did it again for another couple hours. I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's leaves all over the yard. Made a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. I like a couple. Of, I live in AG. We got a couple of inches in AG. Yeah, hopefully we're filling up the reservoirs. And I said it before, but I'm hoping this this year the rain is like record, because nobody talked about it. It's not a. There's no hype around it. Spring it on quietly. We'll just all accept every <laughs> amount we get, and we won't we won't get caught up predicting how many. 
amazing inches of rain are coming. We got to do something about this monitor here, Jason. Why? You and I can't. You and I can't see each other. We yeah. Have to, like, around this monitor. I, I don't mind. Not, <laughs> I don't mind not seeing you, Jim. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Just teasing. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there's room to uh, hang it from the ceiling or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well. Since truly, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I once the show's like fully up and fully developed and running, then I'm conversing more with Dan, and so they, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I, I sit over here in this weird place to keep a good line of sight on Dan. Yeah, that way I can make sure he doesn't nod off during the show. Yeah, up on the wall above Dan there. Yeah, maybe that's kind of good. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, we missed you last week. <clears throat> And then couldn't get together somebody to join me, so we ended up with a rerun, and I was sad about that. And I'll tell you what, I I I want to fully acknowledge that I haven't been here enough lately, and this morning was proof of it. I got off the freeway and went to the old radio station. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and I was like turning right onto Zach, and I'm like, uh... "What am I doing?" And then, of course, I was freaked out that I wasn't going to have enough time to get back over here. But luckily, I got out of the house two minutes earlier today, which allowed me the the mistake of making a U-turn down at Zach. Yeah, it's not that bad to get over here if you're. Oh, if you're trying to do the buzzer beater and slide yeah. into the chair at nine oh four. Yeah, of course that'll be the time that you get every red light. Oh, of course. Yeah. Has anything moved into the old spot? I don't know. I didn't make it all the way down there. Oh. I turned around on South Higuera. But yeah, I wonder what is going in there. Hopefully they're just converting it to more like office space for the <laughs> for dire situation of what is I think commercial that. real estate. I had heard the women's shelter was going to move. Yeah. Their program. Oh, okay. That's what I heard. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure though. Cool. I have to go by over there. It's almost Halloween. Mm-hmm. Just a couple short days to Halloween. Can't believe October is nearly over. Yeah, we're already drawn near to the end of this uh, this year. Yeah, it's getting there, huh? In fact, this week there was a, a, a GDP release for quarter three. I saw that. Do you know what I'm really happy about? Huh? I should probably say it next week. Oh, but this week I'll say it. I'll say it both weeks. Okay. We only have 10 more days to hear about election stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, next week, you could say we only have, like, two more days. Right. Yeah. Three. One of the one of the guys that works for me sent me uh, I can only imagine it was the Dow. To be honest with you, I looked at it very, very briefly. Looked like some the day trading graph of the up and down everywhere with a big red X at the point where the Hillary investigation was reopened and then like a cliff down off the trading. And I'm like, interesting. I, I will say something that's going to excite the listeners and you guys too. What's that? Oh. I looked at the break at the top of the hour and guess what? There's no, political no spots? political spots. Wow. Come on. None. And Why? of course we don't run anything in your show. Don't you so. guys have like a deeply dis? Isn't it deeply discounted for the political ads? And that's yeah. why we hear so many of them. I don't get that. I think it's because they just, yeah, I don't know. They buy so much, possibly. Yeah. I don't know, but they buy a lot. And I, but there's nothing scheduled uh, in your just show. A, maybe just, just, just so you know, listeners. <laughs> yeah, so it's safe to be here for two hours. You don't have to hear any of it there for it two hours. I'm not gonna say anything about noon, but not not until noon. I was, I have or a legitimate question though. Before we move on from political 
talking ads. I thought we weren't. I thought we were giving it a. Two I just. Hour. I just. You're a political <laughs> science major from Cal Poly, so right. you have to know more about this. I'm sure. Is there a scenario in which some high court in the U.S. can just say, you know what? We're going to let Obama go month to month. <laughs> we got to redo the whole primaries thing. We're sorry, guys, but it took some bad turns. And <laughs> and now we just, we're going to let Obama go month to month and we're going to start over again. <laughs> Was there any Extended loophole, the any loophole anywhere in the law or constitution, uh, some fancy thing I don't know about that can, is there a clause that can be played no, there? Because you get termed out as a president. So he's going to be up. There is a... And you really can't have one? There is a contested election process if there were some legitimate issue. And that's why I think they you know, have the results or part of the reason why they have the... Just the can't lag. help but think 300 and something million people in this country and the, the presidential candidates are the best two that we could shake out of all 300 million of them. Well... So. That those are the, they're the two that get the coverage. We do have other parties, so yeah. yeah. But it's the yeah the best I mean, two that can raise. Yeah. I'm cynical, of of <laughs> right? I mean, if you could raise a hundred million dollars, then you might be in the running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Either way, it's. Bad. I feel like I'm cynical enough to believe these are the two people that are like groomed from birth for this. And you just get, we're getting the wool pulled over again on what, what was prepared for us long before we thought this was going to be the runoff. I don't know. Well, Whatever. I think you get a lot of people that if they like, okay, you get the lesser of two evils here and all, you know, good language, you know, but you need somebody that's not the nicest person in the world sometime to be the president of the United States. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're. They're going to be firm with our adversaries. So, yeah. you know, and maybe you have that in them, but I just don't like either or one. Or just stop having adversaries. I mean, I know it's yeah. all pipe dream. This is why I don't do that crap for a living, <laughs> by the way. If you just do home loans, you don't have to make tough decisions about people's lives. And Oh, wait, you kind of do. Yeah, but not, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. like, you're not dealing with things like, you know, every time I get into one of these conversations with a friend or something, it's like, well, what would you do about the abortion? And I'm like, I thank God that I don't have to have anything to do with arguing with the people that are for or against or anything to do with having to make decisions of that caliber. I Maybe, that, I, maybe that's why I didn't go into anything like that at all, ever. I don't want to be tasked with those kind of decisions. Should we drop a bomb today? Uh, I don't want to do that. I'm not going <laughs> to. I was actually wondering if anybody wanted to have the rib line about now. I, <laughs> I have trouble picking what's for lunch yeah. or dinner sometimes. Or what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. I was probably gonna. I was probably gonna be good and have a salad. You, you want to talk about stuff that's a lot, lot harder to me to deal with. Ah, uh, so. There's been a, quite a bit of news here recently. Um, I'm not even positive where to start. I thought it would be um, that my GDP stuff just keeps popping off. What good news, right? Oh, yeah. You just mentioned that. That's a good place to start. Start with some good news today. Quarter three GDP came out higher than expected. 2.9%. Shoosh. Hate to be Debbie Downer, but, you know, I just facts are facts. 
We've, you're we've, gonna you're gonna point out that it was mostly because of soybean exports. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was just gonna say that the third quarter has been the quarter that's that's defined our year for the last several years. Um, we've started out. I, I it's been three years in a row that the first quarter has been sub one. I, I think we had a zero, a point one, and then this year it was maybe point eight or nine or maybe one percent. So first quarter's been pretty bad. Second quarter's been better in the last couple of years, although this uh, second quarter of 2016 was not good. It was about 1% also. 1.1, I think, was the final reading. Um, past two years, we saw that third quarter really boost us up. It was over 3%. This reading, 2.9%, a little bit down. So I think overall this year, growth has been a little bit lower than the previous two years. Um did you read the bit about the soybeans? I didn't. <laughs> soybeans are a big deal, huh? Evidently, a large part of the growth was due to exporting. Hmm. And the best export that we had was soybeans. Well, that's good, right? Who'd have guessed? Is I had good? no idea. I had no idea. Seems good to me. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of, you know, basically... All of the news sources I read, nobody really wanted to downplay the fact that we exceeded expectations for growth. Um, I saw this cleverly worded. There was a moderation in consumer spending. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Using moderation like that if you don't stop and go back and think about it. You you said reduction right there. I missed it. When you said moderation, that was tricky. So consumer spending was down a little bit. Um, Spending on business equipment... Um, was weak, but business investment in general was up a little bit, which I think is a good sign. Um, but yeah, exports were, um, and primarily the soybean was one of the things that was leading that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I wonder where they grow all the soybeans. Maybe we switched all of our corn fields to soybean fields. With the, the most recent third quarter reading, we're... Right now, the year forecast for GDP, the 2016 um, calendar year forecast, is for growth of 1.6%, which just, again, f- making my point here again, is uh, that last year, 2015, growth was at 2.6%. So actually a pretty pretty far off the, the pace of where we'd like to be. Um, you know, ideally 3% is the target for for our economy. Although the Fed, I think, in recent meetings has acknowledged that that's that's maybe not the the target anymore, mm-hmm. at least not for this year. Obviously, um, whether or not it can be achieved again is it's tough. We've talked about this a lot, and it seems a lot. You know, obviously, we're in a political cycle. We hear about that being talked about as oh, well, it's it's this side or that side's fault for that. Of um, but you know, we've talked a lot that it it seems like globalization has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah. You know, there's it can't be denied that there's there's cheap labor all over the world and it's easy to access now. So that's a that's a contributing factor for sure. Um well, yeah, it's had a I mean, it, I I was talking with a friend about this yesterday. If you if you line out what's been going on since the industrial revolution, you can kind of see how the country has shifted and it's easy for us all to say things like, "Oh, we've lost all of our manufacturing." It's like, yeah, well, we lost our competitive edge in manufacturing because there's these other opportunities to have things manufactured for a whole heck of a lot less. Um, I always talk about my friend from Taiwan. We were talking about this the other day because I was asking him, 
sort of, you know, politically what what the view is over in Taiwan, this mess that's in the U.S. And and he really simply said his opinion of it was that Taiwan experienced some awesome protection and help from the U.S. in terms of being able to be kind of their their own sovereignty um, and therefore, you know, he he was expressing that if for him, he thinks that Taiwan's better off under a Hillary presidency than a Trump because he's afraid Trump would like pull out and say, oh, you're on your own or you have to pay us a bunch of money, but was suggesting that the single biggest benefit that we have from our relationship with Taiwan is like inexpensive electronics. And we talk specifically about laptops. And he was suggesting that an American-made laptop might be, if it was all R&D and every manufacturing, everything went down here on American soil, that your run-of-the-mill entry-level laptop would be probably 3500 bucks. But due to the fact that it can be produced over there and imported, it makes it a four hundred dollar laptop. And so, and is that primarily because of labor price differences? It's labor and regulation and and legal exposure. Like, I mean, when you get down to it and think about it, there's an awful lot that goes into in the U.S. As it, I I hate to say, I, I always find myself saying a mature society where we've got. All of these things, everything, you know, we've got all of the environmental protections and we've got the labor protections and the minimum wages and the health insurance and the state and federal taxes. And you just have you have all of these things and all of that just adds up to an increased cost in producing something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that that trade, the fact that you can import and export so freely all over the place, it it has an effect on where you have the competitive or not as edge as an economy, you know, and you have to figure out how you're going to deal with that. And, you know, I mean, and obviously politically, you got one side saying, oh, well, you got to cut that off or add taxes and trade agreements and all these things to change that. And then, you know, the other side of thinking is now nah, just learn how to adapt to it and figure out what your advantage is and figure out how everybody plays together nicely rather than, you know, be thinking and being an isolationist is better but you can't i don't think anybody can argue that the the globalization of everything now i mean you can get on if you want to today you can get on a plane and head for asia today yeah you know or have it be skype phone calls you can do anything you want to do this the world is small today and um you know it's probably realistically that everyone's just learning how to how to make that work cuz cuz we aren't going to be able to make it big again I got a question about your last reference. Do they figure in the purchasing power? Say, like, you know, if you're doing laptops, Best Buy or Walmart or something and buy containers of that stuff. Yeah. So the the amount that they're bringing in. Sure. And it cuts down the cost. Yeah. Well, and I think there, I mean, the company that he works for is an American-based company that's manufacturing Mm -hmm. in Taiwan. The company kind of enjoys dual citizenship if that's a thing i mean they operate in a lot of countries but they're they're in between a lot and um you know fluctuations in currency and these kind of things definitely have an impact on the business model but the bottom line is that most of the parts the reason that they're an advantage is most of the parts are manufactured there so it's not you're not having to outsource every job to assemble your product it's all right there where you need it and it makes it more affordable so you have that that competitive advantage of having it ready, you know, there. 
And this it's is, all extremely complex, though, you and, know? And this is something that we, we looked this up because we were curious about it. It was, what did we find? Something since the 50s that GDP has been on a steady Oh, basically. Decline. Yeah, you know, and think at, about like, that. What, eight ish percent back in the 50s. And ever since then, through Democratic and Republican presidencies and, you know, all these it different It just doesn't cabinets, matter. It doesn't matter. It's been on a slow and steady decline. Yeah. And here we are, you know, talking about it again. Yeah. And <laughs> it to me, it really seems that the, the best possible solution is to figure out how to adapt to that. Um, I thought we decided we just have to exploit. We have to finish exploiting all the cheap labor. The so rest that of that around the world. Then, we can then be the cheap labor again. <laughs> That's a vicious cycle. <laughs> right. And what do you do now, though? Because sadly, I mean, I didn't know we were going to talk about this as much today. But sadly, when you say exploit the cheap labor, I, uh, yeah, it's what it is. Sure. Take advantage. Let's call of. a spade a spade. It's what it is. Find but it and use it. Each one of the exploitable labor forces throughout this brief history after industrialization, um, you the way you run out of it. By the way, is they start going. We're not going to work in these conditions anymore. Well, right. They start to they start to more and demanding more, and they become mature societies. Exactly. And, and then... as they do, <laughs> then you go, oh, these people got too smart. Now we <laughs> hear they're demanding work conditions where you don't like lose an arm a shift or something, and so then you you go and figure out what other what other place can you go figure out where these people are willing to settle for lesser conditions and a lesser wage? But before too long, um, maybe that is what happens. Everybody just like you run through all of that and everybody's like now, okay, all right, well, around the world, people need to make enough money and work in safe conditions to be able to, to survive that everywhere you, we ran out of places to go desecrate by taking advantage of their lack of opportunity. That was, that's wild. I mean, maybe that is how it works though. Seems I don't like that's the path. We'll see on. this. I always like to remind people too, is that this great experiment of capitalism is the U S is the case study. Now um, we're, still in it it's an experiment it totally and it's a young one in the history of of civilized cultures it's a young one i mean we're a couple hundred years into it now but only a hundred really with like yeah we've always had opposable thumbs but we didn't have smartphones so <laughs> <laughs> see how it goes from here so yeah that that news of um the increased gdp um Kind of a bright spot in this week, I'd suggest. There was some other housing data that was pretty good. We can, we're can we going to do a break here in a second. We can talk a little bit about the housing stuff after the break. Um, but the bottom line is a lot of these things have, have sort of pushed the bond yields into some uncharted territory. Um, the highest levels now since pre-May of this year. Uh, I, I was struggling trying to put myself in a place mentally where I could remember where we were dealing with a bond yield of... 1.85% on the 10-year, that's that's awfully high in this range. And, and, and also, by the way, with enough of this other data that's been patched together over, I'd say, the last six weeks, um, the odds of a December rate hike for the Fed now are up in the 70-plus percent range. So things are afoot in this sleepy uh, fourth quarter here. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, 
housing data and such. So stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608. NMLS number Oh my gosh. <laughs> Brilliant. The scary mortgage lending guys. <laughs> oh, did you get the memo about uh, tomorrow's lunch in costume? Mondays. Yeah, Monday. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. It. I tried to cheat myself out of a weekend <laughs> day right there. Jeez, I was going to go to work in the morning in a costume, too. How sad I'd have been. Why didn't anybody else come in today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since we were talking during the break, I uh, looked back at one of my articles here, and um, lo and behold, there's bolded font here about the soybeans power export. Uh. So I'm just going to tie back for those of you that were listening and just going, man, this guy's a kook. He's, <laughs> he's over there talking about soybeans being the main driver of GDP. I read this, and I knew it, but I couldn't put it in context earlier, so... I'm just going to circle back real quick to clear my good name of why I even reference soybeans. All right. Uh, a surge in soybean exports helped shrink the trade deficit in the third quarter. Exports increased at a 10% rate, which is the biggest rise in over three years. And um, there are significant concerns that this soybean-driven export growth um, could reverse next quarter. So... It could literally be that the... Stuff, soybean flash in the pan, huh? Yeah, just a little 
a little bump from the soybean here got us all pretty excited about the headlines. So we'll have to see. Um, and, and I don't know. Do you buy soybeans? That's probably why they're exploiting them. We're not eating them. No. They probably make, I don't like, think so. I make don't know. lotion out of them and stuff. I don't know. A lot of it's used in oils, maybe. Soybean oh, oil yeah. and stuff like that. Or soy milk. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I wonder if the milk comes soy from Soy milk. Bean. I think so, yeah. I'm just not a big soy guy. Yeah. I have a bunch of friends that are like vegetarian and vegan, and they like live on soy. They eat like soy hot dogs and stuff. Yeah, mm. no thanks. So maybe that's where they're going. Yeah. No, you're not into Well, they're it. probably, they, maybe that's where they're going, but I'm definitely like you. It's like, mm, now give me the real hot dog. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to eat a hot dog, eat a hot dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to have a thing made out of some kind of bean curd that's shaped and flavored no, to be a hot dog. I no. prefer lips and hooves all ground up into one, <laughs> one nice meat And dog. that nice casing that they put it in. Yes, yeah, so intestine. <laughs> in, in just... <laughs> That's why I said if you're going to uh, eat a hot dog, eat a hot dog. Um, they're not super appealing to me either. <laughs> Something about like once you kind of learn about how they're made, a hot dog becomes that like. Yeah, let's not go there because, you know. Yeah, because you want to <laughs> eat one without thinking yeah. about that. So that bond yield you were talking about. Yeah. Higher, huh? The bond yield is moving higher. The 10-year bond yesterday closed out at 1.85. And um for the last, I found that surprising. Do you find that surprising? It's I, it's moved very what over the last two to three weeks. It's made a very distinct, you know, very. It's what been about ten basis points per week. It's not been one big bump. It's been a steady, deliberate yeah. increase. Yeah, yeah. I have an app on my phone where I watch it. I mean, throughout the day, it's a really good indication of what's about to happen in mortgage markets. And that's why we talk so much about it. It's because sometimes you'll see like a click up and then an hour later, a click down. So is is this move a um, just a, a lead up to election due to, you know, whatever uncertainties out you there know, due I to the election? I feel like if it was election based, it might be going down. Um just uh, people wanting to move more and more over into bonds. I don't know. I I feel um, maybe just because I feel like the election, it, it does seem very uncertain. I don't know what either of them. I mean, one of the two big candidates is going to win, right? And and which, which of the two big candidates is uh, going to have – a more positive, a more negative, or uh, impact on the economy, or is it all benign? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. And, and, yeah, these yields are probably going up because people say, I don't know what to bet on, and so I'm going to buy the bonds. And as more people get in that line to buy it, the yield goes up, um, right? I or, think, no, the yield goes down. The yeah. yield should go down on account of it is so with the it's yield more being, attractive. It was down. You know, it was uh, – I think hovering in that one five one six range for quite a long time, which means the price was pretty pretty good on that. I'm wondering if there's a, a bit of profit taking um, right now, just le not knowing what you know in case there's any kind of surprises or anything that come up here in the next week or two. Let's take what we know we got right now, and then 
yields are going higher. It'll be a little cheaper at that point if we want to get back in. I think since Brexit, we've averaged about 1.6, you know, and, I, and I'm yeah. just shooting from the hip of somebody that watches it every day, but I've, I don't write it down and, and average it out. I think it's averaged about 1.6. Um, we're getting to the point now where there's so many reasons to believe that the feds are going to raise the rates in December that I think we're just working towards that. Yeah. I think that's primarily what's going on is the election, if you're firmly on one side or the other, you're terrified about the potential outcome of the other party winning and what that might do to all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, one of them is, I don't know, we're going to turn the whole insurance on its head upside down. Don't know what the replacement plan is, but we're just going to, we're going to do crazy things. And, you know, then the other one is we're going to do all this, you know, infrastructure and all these different things. You you look at it and it's like tax, the biggest tax cuts in history are proposed on one side and some um, tax increases, modest tax increases, primarily on, you know, the top earners on the other side. Point being, they're at two pretty different um, ends of the spectrum on most policies. And I can only help think that... E this has just got to terrify you if you have money in motion or big deals to transact. And so because the polls and stuff suggest that it's darn near 50-50, nobody should have any confidence one way or the other right now at all. Um, and so that, I would think, would cause people to want to move to something safe like the bond market, which would suggest it goes down. But I feel like the bond market in and of itself is basically just saying we don't know what's going to happen there at all. Um, rather, now we know that there's a really high likelihood uh, we're pressing some of the most confidence that we've had at all this whole year. This is the most confident we've been about a potential rate hike. And so they said it's the month of December. It's coming um, based on most recent precedent. I mean, the only time they've raised it in the last nine years was last, last December. December. And so something about the fourth quarter feels like the... You know, that time that the Fed likes to sneak one in on you on December, and um, it didn't have much of a splash at all last year. I mean, you asked during the break, do you think the bond yields could go down after the rate hike? Um, maybe. That's what happened last time. Yeah. I don't know. You were talking about where we're at bond yield-wise this year, lowest since May or pre-May. Um it was 1.97% was the 10-year note yield at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And we saw it dip down about a half a point yeah. at the lows and now we're we're knocking on the door of that of that 1.97 again. We're yeah. just an eighth below that. It'll be interesting to see cuz there's a, obviously there's some stuff that needs to happen between now and December. Um in, in terms of the economy, December's far away. We're going to see just around the corner. In fact, before we do the show again, we're going to have a jobs report. Yeah, we got a jobs report next Friday. We've got an election the following Tuesday. There's a Fed meeting. There will be a Fed. Oh, there's a Fed meeting prior to the election, which everybody basically they're going to try to stay out of the mud, not right. get involved in that days before the election, because that's what it would mean if they came out and made some policy shifting change days before the election. It's just too much. Yeah. So 
But no. there's a lot of big events happening. Yeah. Election. And then and we're going to have another Fed we're gonna have in a, December. Well, and November is going to lead us another, um, or December is going to lead us another jobs report. We're going to get the Start kind of. really focusing on retail sales, holiday sales. More fine-tuned readings of Q3. And then we're yeah. also going to have some estimates of Q4. And it's going to, there's there's a lot. Yeah, holiday retail sales. What's going to happen this year? How many more people are going to shop exclusively online on Amazon? Um, retailers. I mean, last year that was a that was a big deal. Looking at consumer spending and retailers, and what you know, those the difference between habits and how it was all digested by uh, you know all of these things that that try to weigh out what what these habits mean for the overall healthy economy. There's a lot to cover between now and the December Fed meeting. Um, but that being said, I can't. I can't help but think that that's at least what it's in part related to is um, if they're going to raise by a quarter and we averaged 1.6, guess what? 1.85 is a quarter higher. And so maybe we're just wearing it right now to see what it feels like Um, in terms of the investment community. That's what they want to do. See what it feels like. See what it does. See how it changes if anything, um, the mentality or spending habits or whatever for the economy and then and the stock market, right? Let's see what it does. And then if the feds give it to us in December, it'll be really no adjustment. In fact, you might even see them decline like they did last time. And then um, if the feds don't give it, I think you would definitely see it decline as you sort of figure out now what the new president's going to do and how it's being received, what the how the markets react. Um, it, it, it's an interesting time. There's a lot to cover, uh, and we'll just see what happens. That's the kind of fun part about it, too. I was joking earlier in the show, the fun thing, um, I, I like not having to have anything to do with all those bigger decisions. <laughs> These being part of it. I don't, I don't also want to be the one pulling the strings on um, hiking rates or not for the broader economy and how it plugs into the the global economy. I don't. I track it because it matters what we do on a day to day business operation for our line of work. But the great thing is you got to get out of bed tomorrow and go to work anyway. And people that are buying and selling real estate have got to go buy and sell real estate anyway. So um, it. Altogether, these rates are still at historic lows. Yeah, they're not far off of the the lows. I was a little disappointed this week when I opened like the Wednesday or Thursday newspaper, the Tribune, and it says mortgage rates have declined to three point four seven percent. And I'm like, what, where are they getting that? When was this article published and finally, you know, actually decided to be printed in the newspaper? Is a month old. You know, we're and it made me kind of frustrated by it that it's just bad information i think the newspaper is bad at giving that kind of information anymore it's not the days of you know the banks came out and printed the mortgage rates for the week you know they don't do that anymore no mortgage rate you know we don't trade stocks in in eighth point increments or whatever it used to be now we trade in decimals um, we mortgage rates change throughout the day, every day, by fractions of, uh, of you know, whatever points. Um, it it happens so fast, so frequent that the newspaper is not the great 
place to go get your rate quotes and get your news about mortgage rates. It's just terrible. Yeah. Rates did not decline this week. They went higher nationally. It's funny, too. um, You know, when we when I whenever I set up a new loan, I have to um, one of the fields that we populate is in the average percentage rate. Um, and there's actually a box now. It's part of the CFPB's regulation of attempting to to allow the consumer to kind of have a better look at what's going on nationally compared to what you're being offered. Um, and by the way, mortgage rates in some other states, particularly lower volume states and stuff like that, they, they can be different than what they are in California. Most companies have a different rate sheet from one region of a state, let alone from state to state. So um, it's hard to go off and say, oh, well, here's the national average. But, you know, that being said, there's a little bit of value to this data. Like right now, I've pulled up the Fed sheet today. And if you look at um, what they put on, and granted, this comes out on Monday, interest rates got a little bit worse over the week this week. Um, Although yesterday was... It was. I'm excited for Monday. Fridays are never great days in the interest rate market. They just aren't. Um, people speculate as to why. They just typically aren't. Usually, you don't want to lock a loan on a Friday. That being said, Friday was a little bit better than Thursday, which usually means, okay, hold off. Get up early on Monday. If you got some locks to place on Monday, you can either ride that wave of momentum where they're going to give you all of what you should have had on Friday um, or else it's going to double back on itself, and you might find yourself back to Thursday's pricing quickly. So anyway, looking over what the Fed has said for the last, this is each Monday they put this out, like looking at the last six. I'm going to go a little bit farther than six because there's, it goes, this is the national APR for a 30-year fixed conventional loan. 347 I just covered five weeks. Now, 3.53, and then this week they called it 3.52. Again, that was on Monday. So they say that it dipped a little bit too. Um, I don't really see that in terms of the, and, and by the way, when you, whenever I fill these out, I'm doing it on the same screen where I'm pricing out the 50 lenders we work with. And it's always fun to see how real life pricing compares to what the feds say are going on. Um, And sometimes they're, uh, they're showing to be a little bit lower than what I think is really out there, which is interesting because California gets some of the best pricing in the nation. Um, And that was the case again this week. I look at that number and I'm like, where are you getting that? Even on Monday, I I put together a loan package on Monday. And by the way, it's there for me at the start of business here on the West Coast on Monday morning. How did they do that? Because it's the government. You know they put this together last week. Right. They don't have a 20-minute lead time to be firing this stuff out for the start of business on a Monday morning. But uh, anyway, yeah. One of the other things that we talked about, like while we were off air here, is that interest rates, that bond yield's been going up, and interest rates have been sneaking up a little bit. I mean, you could see, like I said, you know, what would have been 10 to 12 weeks ago, we were at 3.49, and today we're up at 3.52. So is it 
the high of that whole range was 3.56, um, and the low was established by that 3.47. So you got... So nine basis points. While in the bond market, we've seen 30, 40 basis point moves yeah. over that same period of so time. So that, that sort of, those are the kind of things when you line it up like that and say, okay, well, look, the range of the mortgages, they've moved up by nine basis points, but the bond market's moved up by 30 basis points or 40 basis points in the same period. That's what I call upward pressure on mortgage rates. And so... Um, I I've been telling you know as I I go do the real estate meetings and stuff like that I've been telling people if you're transacting real estate right now you pretty much want to lock um, there's no reason to believe that you're going to get anything better by waiting two or three or four or six weeks if you can wait until the first of the year that might be a sweet spot for you if you can't make it until the first of the year you probably want to lock pretty quick because. From where I'm sitting, all I can see is volatility ahead, that sort of um, conservative building in a little bit of extra fat because you don't want to get caught, you know, on a rate hike where you weren't anticipating it. And, you know, it, it's one of these things where if you think about it, the people that are um, putting together mortgage-backed securities, they don't want to build a big security of something that they're going to sell at a 1% yield and then the feds are going to come make it one and a quarter next week. If they if they're not in market with it now, it's it's less valuable. They'll lose tremendous amounts of money. So the fact that the feds might they go ahead and say, well, let's float this thing up to one and a quarter right now because I'm not in the market to lose fifty million bucks while we wait and see what they do in December. So you you just sort of have the fat begin to build around these prices, and I don't see that alleviating uh, being alleviated anytime soon. I, over the next six weeks, can you think of anything that's going to cause us, maybe if we let go of the, like, maybe maybe you have a really bad jobs report on Friday? Yeah. I What I see happening is kind of a similar pattern to last year at this time. Build up, build up, build up, yeah, build up. Yeah, I see this bond yield moving even higher. I see it going over 2%. I see a rate hike in December. And then I see the bond yield easing back down, probably to average that 1.85%, which is about a quarter higher than we averaged this year, for a good portion of next year. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see it going. Um, and yeah, I agree. If you're if you're transacting, you there's nothing really to gain. And anymore, um, mortgage companies have caught on to this this idea or this this happening this occurrence that that a borrower will get into a transaction and they're not afraid to go go flip to another bank if pricing if rates get better or something they'll walk they'll go do it so they try to preserve the business that they've already invested some money into and they'll allow a one-time renegotiation or float down if sure. if the market gets better so you know there's no real advantage to floating a rate in this kind of market you lock it if it does get better, you renegotiate it, and if it doesn't get better, pat yourself on the back because you locked it. Yeah, and and by the way, I mean, if you're one of the people that's in process or thinking of getting in process soon and wondering how and when you can lock a rate, you can lock a rate pretty early on. I mean, it really, you're, it used to be that we'd just lock a rate with your name and your social and your property address back in the day and come back, fill it later. Um, 
Today, you need to just get some basic information into the system, and we can lock a rate for you and then build the loan disclosures and go for it um, that day. I always get this question, though, on a purchase loan. Um, like, let's say, because somebody will call invariably and say, well, can you lock me a rate? Like, what's the longest you can lock? Can you lock me for 60 or 90 days? Um, yeah, you can lock for 60 or 90 days. Those longer lock terms cost you a little bit more because you're asking the investor to bet on what the what the climate's going to be like economically two to three months from now. And as we were saying a minute ago, December, there's a lot that's going to happen between now and December economically and what it might mean to interest rates and bonds and stocks. Um, so yeah, you can lock a longer term loan like that. You're going to pay a little bit more to do it. Um, but you have to have a property. You can't lock a loan um, without a property address. So those people that are like, well, I'm, I'm out looking at houses and I'm quite certain that I'm going to get an accepted offer on one of them in the next couple of weeks. So I would lock today. You can't do that. There's no way for you to be able to lock an interest rate in terms without having the property nailed down. And, and also you're not, you're not considered a real qualified loan application either until you have that actual property address. So, um, that's kind of the bummer is those people that are not quite ready to lock yet, but recognize that the environment is one where the best, best practices to go ahead and be locking, um, pretty much as soon as you can. One thing that I found interesting, we were talking about these bond yields going up 30, 40 basis points in the last few weeks. Mortgage prices have really only gone up a fraction of that. You were saying that, that you found some data that last year or this year, um, the last you know 18 months or so, have been some of the most profitable yeah. on a loan-by-loan loan basis. Um, and we've noticed and talked about this on the show that the historical relationship between the 10-year note yield and the 30-year fixed mortgage ha used to be about 1.5%, but we've noticed that it's creeped up to closer to 2%. Yeah, last year, and in fact, I, I, I'm i going to suggest that it's really since Dodd-Frank was that we knew that it was going to be implemented in the fall of 2015. Um it was as soon as we knew that every mortgage company around started um, beefing up their compliance department and then they had to beef up the training. You got to come in. Now they have trainers and you got to have all of the policies and procedures now understood so that all of the staff along the way, because everybody that works on a loan today needs to be quite familiar with Dodd-Frank and what it means to the loan. Um, and by the way, I mean, this Dodd-Frank is thousands of pages and acting like, you know, something like a thousand different rules. There's a lot to comply with. So I think initially, and, and, and by the way, the CFPB, it's, this is true today. One of their fines is a million dollars a day for a lending institution that's, that's getting it wrong. So nobody wanted to get caught on that. Um, there's a, we could talk for a couple of hours about what's been going on with the CFPB and some of the lawsuits they've been. And I recently heard that um, the CFPB was found to be um, lacking oversight and too big and not having clear rules and is now going to have to go back and be kind of redefined. Um, but a mortgage company, I forget which one it was, was one of the majors 
um, has been involved in a lawsuit and they actually won. Hmm. And so it's a it's one of these things that basically what they said is the CFPB has sort of been almost self-appointed, self-governed, and now they're regulating in all of these places where they are like there's no check and balance to it. Nobody understands how or far or wide their reach can go, and their penalties are amazingly severe. Um, and so anyways, more to come this next year on as some of that gets scaled back. But point being, it's increased the cost to produce a loan radically. There was a period where if you just went and added in what the difference was, the what the bond yield to the mortgage rate was there was a period where when I was adding it up, it was regularly 2.25 points. Historically, it's been 1.5. And now, um, as you were suggesting a minute ago, we're falling back towards that normal. It hasn't gone all the way back to 150 yet, but it's certainly come off the highs of two and a quarter. So what we're to me, what it means is these companies are better now at understanding how to comply, comply within the law. They're making fewer mistakes. They're having less cures for the mistakes that um, were being made early on. They've figured out now how to be able to move loans through uh, and do good business that's meeting the requirements, um, and, and that's leading to better profit per transaction. So, uh, But the other thing about that, too, is we know that whenever volume begins to lighten up a little bit, you got two choices. You can reduce your profit margin a little bit to kind of keep it coming and keep your staff fed, keep your business together, or you begin that tough decision of, you know, you got to increase your rates, which is going to slow your volume down even more. And now you're you're in a cycle where you got to do some layoffs and nobody wants to do that here. Nobody wants to do that in 2016. These businesses right. are feeling like they're poised for growth, not ready to deal with a contracting business model. All right, guys, we got a whole nother hour to give you um, starting back at 10.05. So we're going to take a short break. We'll get to that housing data as promised. Sorry, we didn't work enough of it in this hour. But uh, stick with us after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Nightmare before Christmas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I like it actually. <laughs> yeah. Get inside of Tim Burton's head. I don't know. <laughs> so we just watched the movie. Go home. <laughs> Have you guys been to any of the haunted houses yet? Mm-mm. No, I haven't. Not yet. One of our employees went to um, two of them yesterday and said the one in the Tascadero was better. Hmm. 
So one in Tascadero, it's like right across the street from Scotty's Barbecue, if you know where that is. Okay. Basically just north of Traffic Way. Yeah. Uh-huh. I forget. I th- I want to say that one's five bucks. Maybe it's eight bucks. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, there's Nightmare on Main Street mm-hmm. up in Templeton. Oh, yeah? I haven't yeah. heard about that one. I heard about the one in Tascadero. Look, look it up on the web. They mm-hmm. got it's 10 bucks. Wow. Evidently, it's pretty good. Wow. I suspected that the one in Templeton would be better, but then I heard feedback that the Atascadero one was better. Wow. Haunted houses are fun, but you know what I always think of when I go in those things? Mm. What's that? What if somebody's in there with a chainsaw? Yeah. Because <laughs> they're, f- they're like one of the like scary people uh-huh. in real life. Uh-huh. And they're just chainsawing people, and no one's even running because they think it's part of the... So I don't love them. I know it's slim chances, but... Yeah. I still want to be that guy. I was like, oh, you're real funny. Ah, you cut my arm off. (laughs) Seriously, dude. I wasn't expecting that at all. Didn't you take the chain off that thing? (laughs) Have you guys seen any creepy clowns? No. Have you heard about the clowns? I've been reading. I've heard about that. Yeah, I haven't seen any about that. That's crazy. Up in Stockton, I guess a clown creeped the wrong guy and got a gun pulled well, out. Well, first off, you're in Stockton here. I, I saw a video of something like that. Some clown was like kind of threatening <laughs> behavior at a guy. Was this one in a car? I don't know. The one I saw was like a guy in a car. The snow is up in Stockton. And a clown was like getting threatening and the dude just pulls a gun out and the clown freaks out and starts running. I'm like, wait a minute, what's that guy doing with a gun at the ready in a car? And then he put the video out on social media? That seems stupid to me. The cops have got to get better at looking at social media, by the way. Just just a way to track some of the dumb stuff people do. Um, kind of related, but not. Yesterday, at apartment C on some road or other in Paso Robles, somebody was having a major sale. That was how they labeled it. Major sale. I saw this on my wife's Facebook page. It was like Paso Robles buy, sell, trade. And someone's selling like, they showed this big standing rack, the rack about the size of somebody's refrigerator with just shelves everywhere, loaded full of product in a row, like matching in a row. Oh, this is all the toothpaste, and this is all the soap, and this is all the shampoo, and this is all the deodorant, and this is all the laundry soap. And allegedly, I say allegedly because one of the reasons like, I think it's good to regulate business is to know that that's not all stolen, but also you're supposed to have like a retailer's license and pay your sales tax when you're doing this kind of thing allegedly it's all from extreme couponing or something but i'm like i i i law i was like trying to tag the the board of equalization in the facebook post but turns out they don't have a they don't have a um a facebook profile that you can tag them on for like egregious business activities happening like off the radar oh boy crazy crazy um, yeah, so hey, before the break, we were talking an awful lot about um, how this market's moving and some of the the whys. Um, and so this week we had a couple of reads. Um, first of all, there was two reads on values again. I mean, mm-hmm. these, and these are the usual suspects. One of them was our S&P Cason-Schiller home price report. This, of course, is the one with the two-month lag, so we're just getting the reading now for August, if that's helpful to you. 
they look at the 20 major U.S. metro areas. It's broken apart into 20 regions. Um, month to month, home prices grew a quarter of a percent, and year over year, 5.1%. Just uh, that number was more than expected. Um, but prices in all cities increased over uh, on the month-to-month basis. So basically what we're seeing is that nationally, in every region measured, home prices increased month over month. And um, so that's, a, that's an interesting thing. I mean, we keep talking about the supply and demand issue and that there's probably not a big, a big fix or help coming anytime soon. Um, by the way, we're beginning to see most of these articles now for a long time, we wanted better housing news, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to hear these things. Now, every one of these articles I read, it's like, hey, here's the stat. Prices are higher. Buyers are frustrated. The market's scary. If you don't get in now, you won't be able to. You're starting to see now with the editorial of, it's been long enough now of the upward price pressure that you're beginning to hear the people talk about this lack of affordability again. Um, cause that was gone for a little while. Remember, in fact, I remember in 2010, 11, 12, where we were like celebrating the fact that normal people could buy homes. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a loan right now for a teacher. <laughs> it's just a teacher buying a single family residence in slow County alone. Uh, those days are kind of gone now, unless you've been teaching for 15 years, but, um, for a while, it was like, man, normal people are coming out. I had a couple of, you know, you'd get somebody like she, they work in hospitality and together, you know, with their two kind of hospitality-based jobs are buying a house. That's sweet. Those days, I think, are gone. So most of these things, you read the article and then you get to see, like, basically that it's it's beginning to resonate, like, everywhere uh, with people that home homes are, um, there's an affordability problem. Again, it's back, it's strong. Uh, and by the way, what happens, the feds are talking about raising rates. Affordability isn't getting any better if rates start going up. Right. So, um, and that, that S&P number, it's based on perch, on sales. Sales volumes, sales that's right. Volume. And I didn't know this, but I found this out this week. That S&P figure um, is... An average, it's a three-month average. So I didn't realize that. So that's and and the reason I say that is it actually showed quite a different figure than the FHFA, which is the next one I'm sure you're going to talk about. Yep. Um, so what the year-over-year rate for Case Schiller was five point one percent. The year-over-year rate for FHFA was six point four percent. Very strong. That's a strong number. In fact. In the month of August, FHFA said that the the increase for the month of August was 0.7%. It was forecast to be 0.4. And again, the case Schiller was 0.24. So this is a metric that suggests that, um, I mean, even if you just want to average the two, it means that you've got annualized appreciation of about 6%. Yeah. And again, I mean, it, it does nothing but provide fodder for that argument that things are getting less and less affordable. Now, this is interesting because we've seen the year-over-year price appreciation go down. You know, it was at 
10, 13%, whatever it was a couple years ago, and then it was down in the tens, and it was in the single digits. Yeah, the, it's an interesting thing when you say that. I always have to close my eyes for a second and think about that. It's still going it's a, up. It's going up, but, but the rate at which fast. it's going down <laughs> up is, is decreasing. Yeah. So, But here, for the first time in I don't even know how many months, we're actually seeing the rate of appreciation go higher. It's moving back up. Yeah, and this is the the highest year-over-year year reading since early 2014, so in over two years. About two and a half years, it's the best, or best, it's the highest reading. Yeah. Depends on where you're at if you think it's the best. On the um, FHFA, I mean, we... I think last month when we when we scoured this data last month we were talking about um Seattle was big. I mean Portland was big. These guys were having double digit increases. So it's interesting this time we got a read on the um the FHFA home price index. Uh you you made the the differentiation already that Case and Schiller relies on purchase data alone. FHFA takes into consideration purchases and refis. So they're getting it's working off the appraisal data that's right. now. So it's getting it, captured. It, of most of the anything that's financed ultimately in the US now through one of the conventional programs, which I'm gonna suggest probably makes up ninety percent of of um, finance transactions are going into agency type of loans or mm -hmm. government loans. So they're the data's being is being harvested. Um, the Portland was back on, I mean, they're back in there again. The Pacific region was the price leader. Um, so that's including Portland and San Francisco on the 12 month basis. The Pacific region is up 7.9%. Wow. So tons of upward pressure around here. Uh, and like you mentioned, we're seeing it now at a growing pace. And to me, um, I, I, that data suggests you're going to go, you're going to run with it down one of two paths. One is, oh, well, it's a bubble. Um, I, I laugh at that camp. The other is you just back to that point that we have a true lack of supply and the, the demand is obviously good. Um, these loans, by the way, these, these loans are the ones that people are fully qualifying for they're 30 year fixed loans. So we understand the loans never, the payments never going to change, and rents are going up. I mean, all of these things suggest to me that this is probably getting to be what the new norm is. It'll be interesting to see how an increase in interest rates affects this, if at all. Uh, but you know, anyway, we're we're not in home buying season anymore either. So, you're these readings are coming from August. You're getting a little bit of a retrospective now about what was going on, probably in the peak of home buying season. Um, I don't know where the realtors actually mark that peak. Maybe the peak is in July. Um, right, because they always say it's when school's out and taxes have been paid and now it's right. summer and you can move easier, um, all those things. But so this is for August. So I'm gonna go ahead and oh, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's the peak. Well, now we're about knocking on the door here of November. So absent of this data, what we have to feel is what it seems like out there right now. Things are still doing pretty good right now. The market here locally is still very healthy. I have had realtors suggest recently that that things are um, hanging out a little bit longer on the market. Um, I don't know. 
uh, hard to say. Most of the people that I have pre-qualified are still slugging it out to buy the home that they're after, um, getting pre-qual after pre-qual, and, and seldom are they successful. And when I say they, I'm talking like my roster of right now, I would guess I probably have 25 pre-approved clients that are out in the market looking for homes. And on that, I, I bet I send out seven or eight pre-approval letters a week. And it seems like I get a new purchase loan a week or maybe two on a good week. It's so it's hard. They're they're fighting over a, a finite amount of homes and there's more buyers than there are homes. So um, but yeah, that being said, some of the the realtors that I've been talking to lately say things feel like they're not exactly like scary slow, but a little bit slower than it was over the summer. And I guess that's to be expected. Well, and how much of that is that we're just we've been in this kind of market for so long. We're conditioned to things moving in a couple of weeks. When, oh, sure. When really normal is ninety to one hundred and eighty days. Oh, I was on. Um, I mean, I think the slow county average is for this year has been like thirty-seven days market time. Yeah, which is I was nothing. just gonna say I was on Keith Bird's website this week um, again. So this is the Slow County Homes website. I think a lot of you guys are familiar with this. But I was looking at um, the local real estate statistics section, which was talking about days on market. And and it, again, it was kind of humbling for me because I was like, um, I want to say like in slow, it was, of course, now I can't get to it super quick, but it was like 47 days or something. And I was like, I don't think that's what my expectation was. I'm thinking marketing times like 10 days. 14 days because it seems fast like that it seems scary fast well i think in certain price ranges it is that fast we have a lot of million plus properties in this area too which i think you know help sure increase that average days on market yeah or some of the properties that are um need to be cash only so they're going to sit longer some that are some that are just Interesting but weird to the general marketability, and so they're they're going to skew those numbers, especially true out when you look at like you can watch data for Cambria or Cayucas or Morro Bay get pretty skewed pretty quick based on yeah a uh, very limited sales. market <laughs> yeah um, so tying into some of that other housing data though so to summarize things are getting more expensive everybody agrees. We got some data on new home sales came out this week. So the brand new never lived in before homes saw an increase of 3.1% to an annual rate of 593,000 units last month, um, pulling them very close to a nine-year high, um, which was actually, we we got to that nine-year high number very close to it in July. So... August pace um, was revised down a little bit. It was previously 609,000. They dropped it to 575. So this number coming in between the two, but we're flirting with what has been the decade high of new home sales. So that's good numbers to see that new home sales are, the demand is strong for them. Um, you know, that if you build it, they will come. These things are selling. Um, and then this week we also got a read, and this one I think has probably had a, a better market impact than any of them, but the National Association Realtors said that the new home sales index is up, um, and basically what it's suggesting is that um, the pending, pending home sales now, 
these are contracts that are executed and escrows that are open but not yet closed. So these tell us what's going to be the case with existing home sales um, for next month, basically. I, they, they say on average it takes like 30 days to get through a pending home sale, but um, they were uh, – expected a 1% gain in that index and it went up one and a half percent. Basically what you need to know is that that was a real bright spot. More and more people are transacting existing homes and they actually kind of shattered expectations about that. Um, and maybe that has something to do again with the time of year where you're, um, if you're going to be buying and, and selling, um, this is the time of year maybe to do it with a little less pressure. So it's interesting to see that more of these properties are in contract to be closed. Um, it's a, you know, but again, just suggesting that the market is actually got a pretty good amount of activity in spite of these continuing and increasing rates of price appreciation. I saw in that pending home sales figure, they break it down by region. And the West was up 4.7%. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me too much because um, if you're – think about it nationally. If you're going to do an open house and sell your house, starting to get into no man's land right here, you're already like got to wonder today, are you getting muddy boots inside? And here in California, we don't think about that too much because <laughs> it, it rains four times a year. Um, but in other parts of the country, it's pretty gross right now. Do you want 20 people parading through your house this week with muddy boots? Maybe not. And so that, that to well, me, they're, they're busy dodging hurricanes and, and it's hunting season. <laughs> so they're, they don't got time to go look at houses. They got to go, you know, shoot the quail or whatever they got going on. Um, but point being over here on the Pacific region, it's kind of like, oh, October's a good time as any to sell your house. It rained. Yeah, it rained for like Friday night while we were asleep. No big deal. Um, but the other thing that, of course, is going on right now into this season is if you get into contract right now for a 30-day escrow or a 45-day escrow, you got to be moving now between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so um, that's challenging. That makes it tough. Do you, it's hard to if you were traveling or having company in or whatever. And so I think for that reason, you're you're in the season right now where people that don't really have to sell are going to probably try to sit out and wait until the first of the year. Um, get yourself clear of the holidays and the travel and the stress and the holiday spending and all of those things, and then go on to you know deal with selling and buying real estate. Um, and so, but... I have always thought it makes a good opportunity for the people to want to function in a slightly lower pressure environment. If you're, if you think that, you know, you, if you're buying or selling, it's just, there's going to be a little bit less going on this month than, um, you know, perhaps than there is in July when everybody thinks it's a great time to transact. It is commercial break time. And we'll be paying close attention because, Jim, I'm sure you've already got loaded up a uh, more Halloween-themed music bed for bringing us back. You got that right. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> Let me turn on my mic before I try to talk. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we're good. Time to do it. All right. So we're going to do a quick commercial break, guys. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Mortgage Matters. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608. NMLS number 328358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. And the tombstones quake Spooks come out for a swing and wake Happy haunts materialize And begin to vocalize Grim grin and ghosts come out to socialize Now don't close your eyes And don't try to hide For a silly Do you recognize the guy's voice? They're great. Okay. They're always a problem. The way he sings right there reminds me of the guy that goes Rawhide. Yeah. He also does. He's also uh, another classic holiday tune. Holiday tune. Oh, you told us. TV show. I think you told us this piece of trivia last year, and for whatever reason, I didn't commit it to memory. How the Grinch stole Christmas. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mr. Grinch. There it is. Girl All Ravenscroft. Right. All right. Thanks for that. Yeah, there you go. One year I went to Magic Mountain. Uh-huh. Because they do a little scary thing there. They do. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But I've always wanted to go to like not scary farm. I, I, I've never done that. I've had family that went down there last week. And they had weeks, a great And they time. said it was a great time and it was it was scary. I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. And Elvira I guess apparently Elvira does a show there. And she's Ooh. like in her Elvira. Oh, wow. Mistress of the Dark. Yeah. And she's in her sixties and my nephew is like, She's hot. <laughs> 
So I guess she still looks good. What a compliment. She was actually kind of campy and hot at the same time. Crazy. <laughs> but and, anyway, yeah. I've heard it was really good. And her shtick is kind of to look dead. Yeah. So that's good. Um, looking hot. Yeah, looking, looking, looking hot, hot looking, looking dead. dead. Aging gracefully. <laughs> I love it. There it is. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of funny. <laughs> um, shifting gears a little bit. I mean, of course, still on topic, but um, I wanted to remind everybody... We got a few applications this week into the office for USDA loans, and USDA had a little bit of a policy shift on what they require now for mortgage insurance on the USDA loans for all loans, basically, that are guaranteed after October 1st. So basically, if you come in today, the new terms that you're getting... The, so I always feel like you kind of got to temper this by giving you a flyby of the program that it probably most competes with, which is going to be FHA. So on FHA, you could have a three and a half percent down payment. That's your minimum. So, you know, three and a half percent, obviously uh, on a $300,000 house, you're looking at you know, what, what is it, Dan? 12 grand ish. It's about the down payment. Mm -hmm. You got to pay upfront mortgage insurance. It's a fee that gets added to your loan balanced and financed in at close. I mean, there's an opportunity for you to pay it, but if you could pay it, chances are you'd use that cash to go into a different loan program. So most of the time it gets financed into the loan program. It's 1.75% of the loan amount. So that's pretty substantial. On the average loan, we see a seven, $8,000 upfront mortgage insurance fee that's financed into the loan. Um, and anyway, you, then you pay a monthly mortgage insurance that's a factor of about 0.85% of the loan amount annually, you know, divided by 12 because you pay it monthly. But it, anyways, it works out that it's upfront 1.75% and then monthly 0.85%. That's kind of expensive. On USDA... Now, after the change, the upfront mortgage insurance is 1%. That's a quite a reduction from where they were prior to October 1st. It was 2.75. So this means if you bought a $300,000 home, your old mortgage insurance was at 3%. I mean, you're talking $10,000. And with the new mortgage insurance, your, or the new mortgage insurance rate, your upfront mortgage insurance is three grand. So it's, it's, it's unbelievably affordable. Um, and then they went on to reduce the monthly mortgage insurance from 0.5% to 0.35%. So a more modest reduction there. But again, in contrast, your other option is going to be FHA, where the monthly mortgage insurance is 0.85%. So here you're at 0.35, less than half. So this program just got a lot more attractive for um, home buyers that are, you got to qualify because there's a maximum income um, for the household that you can't exceed for, uh, it's defined as a family of one to four people um, in 87,600 $87, bucks is that mark. If you have a fifth kid or a sixth kid, or I shouldn't say kid, a fifth dependent or a sixth dependent. Um, a the, household size up to eight goes to like 114,000 yeah. annual um, household income. And so you got to be able to fit in under the income guidelines. But once you do, this is a program that's 100% financing. And now 
I mean, other than VA, I got to suggest the most attractive mortgage insurance package out there. Um, and so, like I said, when I started this a little bit, uh, we got more USDA applications in the door this week. Um, and I don't think it's because the people know. Uh, it's just kind of that kind of luck. Um, but by dumb luck now, they're getting a pretty sweet deal. And so... Um, for those of you that are listening to the show today that, you know, maybe it's you or it's your kid or your grandkid or a coworker that's like, man, I really want to buy a house, but I'm saving the down payment. This is an opportunity to get in here and look at how you might be able to buy without even needing a down payment at all. Um, it's geographically restrictive, by the way, too. Um, I, I always try to, to simplify this for people, first of all. If you just open up a web browser and Google um, the search term USDA eligible properties, the top link will be um, a bar where you can input the property address that you're looking at. So maybe you're you're looking for a home, um, you see a home on one of the real estate sites and you go, hey, well, how about 123 Main Street? So you open up that USDA property eligibility search and you type in 123 Main Street and hit go and it will tell you definitively whether or not the property that you're looking at is eligible for the USDA loan. Uh, in the cases where they are, it's pretty exciting. Um, and as a general rule of thumb, without just searching every address that you look at in the MLS, um, here's, here's kind of the logic behind it, okay? If you stuck a pin in a map and made a five-mile um, radius around that pin, would you catch 25,000 people in that, in that area? And so in San Luis Obispo, if you stick that pin really anywhere in the proper city of San Luis Obispo, the answer is yes. And so San Luis Obispo is ineligible for USDA. Um, but... Here's some areas that aren't. Cambria, Cayucas, Morro Bay, Los Osos, uh, outskirts. You got to, you know, it won't work on Vine Street and Paso Robles, but if you get out a little bit away from the downtown core, it'll work. Um, all of Atascadero, surprisingly. Um, Santa Margarita. And then once we get um, moving towards South County, it's like Oceano, um, Guadalupe, parts of Napomo, more of the rural parts of um, Santa Maria. So anyway, there's some opportunity out there for you. Um, and it's it's a program, really, this is one of the programs that if you're even considering it, like if, if, if I've caught your attention by talking about a no down payment loan opportunity for you, and you're going, huh. I think that I'm interested in that. This is an this is a loan program you need to get pre-approved for early on because we need to make sure that you have the credit, the debt to income ratios. They've got some pretty strict debt to income ratio requirements. Um, that you're under the maximum income qualifications, uh, and then we can get you in the right direction on where to look, but. It's a pretty great program if you can figure out, if you qualify and you can figure out how to get a property in one of the areas where it works. It's it's pretty fantastic now that they've changed these insurance premiums to be so much less. 
I got to argue that it's it's one of the better loan programs now. But it gets it it gets tough once you get into housing that's more than four hundred thousand bucks. It gets difficult to be able to fit in under the debt to income ratio guidelines while maintaining and you know the income less than the maximum uh, and and make that all pencil. But it's possible. So uh, it, it's just something to again if if you or your kids or your grandkids or a coworker or a neighbor have been expressing a desire to buy but you know feel like they need to save the down payment this is something to look at as we were talking a little bit earlier real estate values seem to be going up 5% a year yeah so saving that 20% down payments like running up the down escalator is yeah. going to be hard for you you're not going to get there at the same pace because this market is continuing to move upward and the the USDA is based it's a government program so it gets those excellent 30 year fixed government rates i oh, want to yeah. say they're what 3 and a quarter that's a high one yeah they're great you can get you can get lender credits maybe at 3 and a quarter which help pay closing costs we've seen people i mean 500 bucks out of pocket. They're owning a $400,000 home yeah. in this county. Fascinating to me. I Usually somebody, when they get an accepted offer on a house, they write a 1% deposit check on it, right? We call it the earnest money deposit or the good faith deposit. But a $400,000 house, so you write a $4,000 deposit. Most of the time, they're getting the majority of that back on a USDA loan. Can you even buy a car for $500 out of pocket? I don't know. <laughs> I did, however, you probably could, but I did, however, read yeah. <laughs> that um, there's some real concern right now that um, the auto finance could be the next shoe to drop in terms of like delinquencies and problems. Hmm. Uh, people are buying really expensive cars on um, minimal documentation and buying long term car loans now. I saw an ad yesterday for an 84-month car loan. That's funny. That's incredible. That's crazy. Well, and cars are so expensive. Yeah. No. Well, that's yeah. what it takes to get yourself like a $500 payment if you need if you need to be driving a $50,000 car. All they right. really do is a credit check of one bureau. It's crazy. We we recently we bought a used car from a dealership and they they did the one bureau credit check and they ask you to tell them what your income is. Yeah. There's no Stated verification income. of anything. So from what I was yeah. hearing, um, the CFPB is keyed into that. Um, and so what I read was basically that millennials, we talk about millennials quite a bit in terms of, you know, what they're doing on the job and what they're doing in terms of their housing. Do they even want to own real estate? All these kind of conversations. Guess what millennials really like? Hmm. Fancy new cars, <laughs> and they're buying a lot of them, and they're buying them with minimal, um, minimal documentation, and getting terms where you know it's not uncommon. I see, I see normal, good old, you know, salt of the earth people here coming in with seven hundred dollar a month car payments, and they're you know kind of shocked that it's impacting their ability to qualify because. Well, doesn't everybody have a car loan? That's what it takes to have a car. And it's like, yeah, not everybody needs to drive a $55,000 car when you make 55 grand a year. You know, that's it's kind of crazy. But so anyways, the CFPB is now going to be driving their attention towards 
auto finance and making sure that auto companies are demonstrating an ability to repay and that they're not putting people into car loans that are basically um, predatory. Uh, yeah. An eight year <laughs> handcuff to a contract where, you know, on some of these cars, depending on what it is and, you know, the manufacturer and all that kind of thing. I've heard now that these brand new cars are depreciating even more than they used to coming off of the lot. And when you get done with an eight year car loan, even if you had zero interest, you paid that thing off right about the time it's worth like nothing. So it's kind of a hamster wheel of making payments in, um, but we're recognizing now that if there was a significant problem within the economy where people were like, well, I'm having trouble paying bills, th that that portion of auto debt now is becoming an, an alarming statistic. And what mm. they're, as you well know, in TARP, in the beginning of TARP, we had a lot of the auto manufacturers need help. Yeah, there's a lot of auto bailouts. A lot, yeah, <laughs> yeah all of them took it. Um, well, I think it's like you said, Jason, there's a lot of people maybe out there that are buying, like maybe it was down that buying cars that are just beyond your means, really. I oh, mean, yeah. there's a lot of people that are out there because you don't ask a whole lot of questions to buy a car, but there's people out there that are buying expensive cars when maybe, and I'm not going to pick on a Ford Focus, but maybe that's what they can really afford. A nice, solid, used Ford Focus. Exactly. <laughs> you don't need I mean, not to say that they're the bad lot. cars. They're not, <laughs> but maybe that's what they can really afford. Yeah. You know, and then they're buying some sort well, of excursion or something. I always like to think about this. And so let's brainstorm it out loud for a second. Just humor me. Um, your, so you own a car, an old used car that you got by way of your grandpa that he bought brand new. Yeah. Do you have any idea what that car was purchased for in 1970? Um, I, Three grand? Yeah, I was going to say. It's a couple grand. Three? Yeah. Maybe four because it had some cool factory upgrades. So let's call it four grand. Let's, mm -hmm. let's be conservatively high um, in 1970. And I wasn't even alive in 1970, so mm -hmm. I'm not positive. But what was the um, entry-level housing in California in 1970? <laughs> I'll look it up. I'll see if I can find it out. Thirty grand. I I don't think it was even that high, to be honest with you. But let me let me. I'm gonna see if I can find entry level housing prices. Nineteen seventy. Okay. I hear stories about people bought a house for twenty five grand. I don't know exactly which era, but um. Anyway, the logic I want to jump to, if we had time to fully develop this, is today. These cars are selling for sixty thousand dollars, fifty, sixty thousand bucks, and housing, entry level housing, you know, is is four hundred grand. So, and I don't think probably like in nineteen seventy when you went down to buy your three or four thousand dollar car, were you getting an eight year payment? It's kind of an interesting thing if you think about inflation of home values and prices and inflation worth of car value and prices. Is it, is it right on track? Is the relationship the same as it's always been when you could buy a $30,000 car or a $30,000 house and a $3,000 car. And today you buy a $50,000 car and a $500,000 house. Is it just the same? Are we just are we just being weird when we question the fact that people spend this much money on cars today? 
Um, I don't know. I'm trying to find. Because I think it's weird. I think it's weird that these cars are so darn expensive. And not that this has changed at all, but so many people identify now like their car is an is a extension of their self. Okay. So I've got some figures for you. Okay. The car that you referenced that was a hand-me-down from my grandfather is a 1970 um, vehicle. It was... What, from what I could find, it was about a three, somewhere around $3,000 to purchase it new off the lot. Okay. Median home price in the United States in 1970 adjusted to $2,000. So some kind of, some kind of inflation metric. The median price was $65,000. All right. Hmm. If that's the case, then that. The margin between the car value and the home value have, it's gone nuts. I, I have here. Cars the, are making up a way bigger percentage of gain than. So roughly 5%, you know, the, the ratio, your your car would be roughly 5% of the home purchase. So and if, today you're, it's if 10. you're talking, what, a $50,000 car? Yeah, I mean, that's about the average if you go buy these, like the... Toyota 4Runner that you see around. I mean, that's one of the better selling cars in. That would mean your median home price is a million bucks. If fifty thousand dollar car would make your at the same ratio. So it seems it like it's gotten off by double. Because you well, can... and that's you're talking median home price here in Slow County, which is five hundred thousand. Oh yeah, because the Toyota costs the same out in like right. You pick the state you want to pick on for being affordable. I mean, we're talking, yeah, because the California median home price in 1970 was almost ninety thousand dollars. So here, so it could be as much as four times. Yeah, that these cars are of the ratio during of what you'd spend on your car versus your housing. It could be as much as four times today what that normal ratio would have been. Yeah, I have it actually. It was maybe maybe this is the whole country, but. I have it around twenty five thousand, twenty six thousand five hundred dollars, nineteen seventy. Is the median home price? Median. Uh-huh. What a what a ca- it says it cost it would cost around twenty six thousand five hundred dollars. So I don't know if that's the median. Hmm. I'm looking at census.gov. Yeah, median home values, but mine's an inflation adjusted number. Mm-hmm. So that's probably twenty five thousand in. 1970 dollars yeah. whereas i'm looking at it in so yeah maybe maybe that's actually a better metric which well, would suggest that the ratio has gotten way out of whack the reason i bring it up for a few different reasons i mean number one when we do dirty like if i do quick and dirty mortgage calculation for you like say i'm at lunch and somebody goes oh hey jason i've been meaning to ask you what would the payment be for me if i bought a four hundred thousand dollar house we do real quick math that every every $100,000 you borrow is about 550 bucks a month. That's some quick dirty math. Round it off to 600 if you want to be conservative. 2400 bucks. So if you come in with a $600 a month car payment, which I'm saying is not uncommon, that makes the difference of $100,000 in your affordability of buying a home. And so it's it's crazy. That's the difference between you being able to afford an entry level home 
or not, or the difference in you being able to afford the move up home or stay in the entry level yeah, area. Yeah, or, or to buy a condo or buy a house in some cases. It's mm-hmm. like, man, you could have bought a $600,000 house in slow, and instead you're going to have to buy a $500,000 condo because of your car. So take good care of it, even though it's going down in value right now while we're talking. It's just, it's kind of crazy. Um, so we'll see. There's going to be some more regulation. I wonder if it'll change, but... Man, every time you get reads on what's going on with the um, U.S. economy, car sales are a big part of that. It's an important factor of, you know, how many cars are we buying? Remember we had, in order to get it moving, you remember when we had cash for clunkers? Yeah. Yeah, come trade that beater in and get yourself into a new car. We need that. Create those jobs. Get the get things get things moving. People weren't confident enough to buy a car, but you could buy a car if you got a little incentive from the government. And it wasn't long ago that we were doing that, and now now we're going um, kind of full circle on that. We got the government now focusing a little bit of effort on making sure that these loans aren't too lenient or making up too much risk as the the share of auto loans nationally is growing to all-time highs. Okay, I got some new figures for you. I scrolled down on this census.gov page. Okay. Median home values unadjusted. That's probably the better figure to use since I'm looking at an unadjusted figure of the car. Of the car, sure. Price. So the car was three grand. The United States, the whole country's median home value in 1970, $17,000. For California, $23,000. So I okay. think we're more in line here, Jim. Yeah. Um, so if we look at the $17,000, now we're saying the car is roughly 17.5% of the price of the house. So our $50,000 car would make the median home price $285,000, mm-hmm. which actually is pretty darn close. So maybe nationally. Yeah, nationally. So maybe it all just lines right up? Maybe it's not as out of whack as we think. You just got to, like, finance and pay for eight years now. But or so you have a 30-year car loan. Yeah, <laughs> I guess the third piece of this little mystery here is wages. What were wages in 1970 versus wages today, and how does that all line up? Because that, you know, it looks like the ratio of... Of auto values to home values is similar. Well, but in 1970 is the affordability as there? well, because when you look at like the the financial significance of buying a car or that being your lifestyle, as I buy a brand new car every three years or something. Um, in 1970, the occurrence of having a pension was a lot greater than it is today. So I here's some interesting financial advice for you. If you really want to have a new car, and I get it. If you do, they're awesome. Um, how about you just make yourself this deal? You'll contribute more to your savings slash retirement than you will to your car payment each month. Let that determine affordability. You know, um, not, I don't know that everybody does that. Um, a couple of more quick stats that came out this week that I wrote down kind of ties in here. Personal consumption. Those numbers came out. Personal consumption uh, declined. The growth rate was 2.1%. Um, in the second quarter, it was 4.3%. So um, that basically what that means is that consumption growth is slowing 
And economists and analysts that look at this are suggesting that personal consumption is going to slow even more as inflation increases. Um, dude, we only have five minutes left on the show, but I was going to say, as you start talking about personal consumption and core personal consumption expenditures, which is a measure of inflation that tracks prices paid without the food and energy costs grew by 1.7%. Okay. I got a wage here thing for you from 1970, the United States median household income, 1970, just under $10,000. That's what I got too. Yeah. I got something. So the it car, looks like about nine. So the so, car was about a third of your median income. Right. So just adjusted for income. Adjusted so for inflation, the, the median income today should be 150 grand. If you kept logic linear, which what? I don't believe that to be the median income. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, isn't no, it no. More like sixty thousand. Um, In fact, do I have for 1970? Um, it's closer, according to this. Just, well, this is actually two. Okay, so this in 2000. Okay, which 16 years ago. So that's. That's just under 40,000. So, Dan, yeah. you're probably right. It's probably just about 60,000. Right I think it's like 45,000. Yeah. Um, wages haven't. Yeah. You're looking at the same thing I am. It yeah. hasn't gone up by yeah. 20% in this last decade. I mean, last census reading was 2010. Yeah. So, interesting. I'm not seeing any. So while the no. ratio of but, the the auto to home value has remained the same, incomes have not kept up with the overall increase in values. So therefore, everything's less affordable. To them. Which is ultimately why we see the barbelling going on of the wealthy people. They can that have are all sort the of stuff. unaffected by this and yeah. can have all of the stuff. The the like what I what I like to think of is like that. Um, the you you might call them working middle class they're the paycheck to paycheck survivors out there that are having their needs met and maybe a little then some of course then to the other end of the spectrum is the other barbell of the people that are not even able to meet their me their own needs let alone contemplate having a $700 a month car payment so um kind of interesting but what i was going to say we're like so out of time but in these personal consumption numbers that's the other thing is healthcare. We learned again this week for us, healthcare plan for us is going up by 26% again, which is unbelievable to me. I saw on a drive-by headline, I didn't click into it and see why, but I saw that um, Arizona is experiencing a 116% price increase in healthcare. What? <laughs> That's scary. Oh, and keep in mind, Jim, this is for healthcare that um, doesn't pay for stitches, right? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't pay for crap. And, you know, the, oh, the, we don't have time for this. The healthcare thing's a mess. It needs attention more than anything. It I, is a mess. I wish that the, the major parties would have sent up people campaigning on the platform of just solving this healthcare problem with a lot more brains. But it seems like that wasn't a primary issue for people... Uh, at least that's not what we wanted to hear about at the debates or on policy <laughs> platforms. No, it's about emails and things like oh, that. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna repeal it and replace uh, it. I'm uh -huh. gonna take what we have and fix it. Just okay, exactly can one how of you tell me what you're how? gonna do to fix it because this is crazy. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> How are you going to do it? This sucks. The healthcare situation right now sucks. And it isn't getting better anytime soon. So how's that going to affect all of these things? Yeah. How much you can afford to pay for your house? Our insurance agent was saying the phone calls are not fun, especially for the calls that are made where people are saying, I have to choose now between bills I have to pay and this health care bill that I have to pay. Oh, God, what a miserable state of affairs. If you're having to choose to not pay some other necessity bill so that you can pay your increased health care bill. Blech. All right, we ran out of time. Find us on the web, guys, centralcoastlending.com, or call us at 543-LOAN if we can help you this week. Um, looking forward to some more rain and another great week. We'll talk to you guys next week after we get the jobs report, and it'll be November. Adios. Adios.